0: Several years ago, I came back from a—I um, think I was singing a concert somewhere—and um, I came back, and I'd been gone and I, you know traveling and was tired and worn out. And I, I got off the plane and got back into my truck and drove home and um, got my stuff out and opened the front door, and uh, Paula gave me a big hug and a kiss, and she said, "I think we got to go to the emergency room." I said, what, what, I just got home. What are you talking about? And I look over and Haley is seated at the, the kitchen table and she's, she's kind of doing this right here. And I said, what is going on? She said, Haley slipped and fell and her, her arm is, is, is hurting her. And I said, well, can she, you know, can she move it? Can she do like this? You know, I mean, rub some dirt on it and let's call it, you know, call it good. She said, I don't know. She was, she was crying and stuff, and so I said, well, let's, let's go. And just right around the corner, really just right across our backyard, they had built um, Hospitality ER. So we got in the car, and we drove around there. It took us just a couple of minutes and took us in, and they uh, sat us down. And they took Haley back and, and did some x-rays and examined her arm. And sure enough, uh, she had a hairline fracture, in the bone in her um, in her forearm there, and so they sent us to another doctor, and we went and got a cast and she wore that that cast for several weeks before she got it off and everything is is as good as new I, I guess it's as good as new, but we didn't know, and we would not have known exactly what was wrong and what we needed to do in order for her to get better had we not gone and and undergone the examination. Everything was about the examination telling us uh, what we needed to know. As far as I was concerned, hey, I mean, you know, walk it off, shake it off, you know. Um, that's kind of the way I was raised. You just didn't run to the doctor for any and everything. You had to, something had to be bad wrong for you to go to the doctor. But I'm glad we went, and it was because of that examination that let us know what we needed to do for her, for her to heal and to get better. In our text this morning, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to look at at that, this idea of being examined, of being tested by God, because that's really uh, where we we find uh, healing and it's where we find uh, how to to go forward in life and and what to do and what we need to do in order to to be productive and in our lives to count for something. Uh, As we said last week, Paul and his companions had visited this town of of Thessalonica. Uh, They weren't uh, originally scheduled to go there, but you know Paul was trying to take the gospel to Asia. The Holy Spirit prevented him from doing that. Uh, He got a vision, a call from a guy in Macedonia begging him, please come over and help us. And so Paul took that to be a word from the Lord that he should go to Macedonia. Now, every time you get up to to teach or every time you get up to preach, there is no way that you can convey everything that you've learned. There's no way that all of the things that you've read and studied and looked at over that past week and prayed about, uh, there's no way that you can can share all of that in one, you know, 20-minute session. You wish 20-minute session, Right no way that you could could say all of that. Um, A dear friend sent me an email this past week um, shedding some more light on on the topic of what I talked about last Sunday. And uh, if I read that email to you, it would take 20 minutes. But um, it was a blessing in my life and, and really was highlighting a lot of the things that I had been reading and studying from the book of Acts. When Paul very briefly, if I can, when, when Paul arrives in Thessalonica, he has come off of, of his imprisonment there in, in Acts chapter 16 in Philippi. And you remember there where he, was, uh, he and his companions were, were beaten and thrown into prison. That's where we get the conversion of the Philippian jailer, there in Acts chapter 16. But we just kind of read through that very quickly. It says that Paul was flogged. He was beaten with rods, with many blows, your translation might say. Um, not, we're not talking about a, uh, a little spanking here. We're talking about a severe beating. Many people had died from a flogging. You're talking about a brutal uh, opening of the flesh with, with rods across their backs. And then thrown into prison, and then they're singing praises at midnight. You know the story um, And the Philippian jailer uh, washes their wounds. He and his whole family are presented the gospel. They're baptized. So by the time that Paul leaves Philippi, makes it to Thessalonica, there's a very good chance that not a whole lot of time has gone by. And those wounds, many of them may still be open, open wounds. You don't recover from a beating like that in a couple of days. Are you with me? Even when several weeks have gone by, the, the, the flesh on, on his back would have been sore. Uh, many of those wounds may have been still fresh and open. And that's how he arrives in Thessalonica. That's how he preaches the gospel to them on three Sabbaths. And he didn't stay there long because more opposition um, arose there in Acts chapter 17. They had to leave under the cover of darkness uh, just to escape. And so, as best as I can determine, about a year later, Paul writes this letter to encourage those new Christians about how they should live while they are waiting for the return of Jesus. How should you live knowing that Jesus is going to return? And it's one of the beautiful things um, that we see in Scripture. I believe with all of my heart that they believed with all of their heart that Jesus was going to return soon. I mean, every chapter in 1 Thessalonians ends with the return of Jesus. He's coming again. He's coming again soon. Now, you know that they didn't write in chapters. It's just one, one long letter. But the way it's broken up, every chapter says that Jesus is coming soon. He's going to return soon. And that's what they were thinking. That's what they were living for. That's what I want to live for. That's what I want us all to live for, the imminent return of Jesus. Lord Jesus, come soon. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's just read the text. That's about the safest thing we could do this morning, open the word and, and let it speak to us. We're going to read, the, uh, I think, the first 12 verses here of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. The word of God, it's the closest thing we have to the breath of God. The holy breath of God has has breathed these words. And I confess to you this morning, I believe every word of it. Scott got up this morning and said, you know, we're celebrating Jesus, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We believe those things. I literally believe that Jesus came in the flesh, the Son of God. He died on the cross, and he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. That's the gospel, and I believe it with all of my heart, and I believe what I'm fixing to read to you is the very word, the very breath of God. Listen. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know, But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God, who tests, or your version may say, who examines Our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or from anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. This passage is just dripping with the gospel. Almost every verse, either directly or indirectly, speaks of the gospel. Paul had gone to Thessalonica to preach the gospel, and everything he says and everything he does speaks of that gospel. You remember chapter one? Um, Cole read us this morning, First Corinthians chapter 15. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. That is the heart of the gospel. That is the core message of the gospel. Now, the gospel is way more than that. The gospel is everything that is good about Jesus Christ, and it's all-encompassing. But at the very heart, at the very core, the message of the gospel is that Jesus Christ died, he was buried, and he was resurrected on the third day. So if somebody says to you, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? You can simply say the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. That's the heart of it. Everything else comes from that. Everything else emanates from that. As we learned from chapter one uh, last week, the natural flow of this gospel is that that gospel comes to you. Someone shares that with you. Maybe you were raised up in church knowing about it, but someone teaches you that Jesus died for your sins, that he was buried, and that on the third day he came back alive, that he was resurrected. That gospel comes to you, then it works in you, and it changes you, and then that gospel goes out from you. That gospel gospel echoes, it reverberates from your life as you teach other people. Um, an inherent Come on, rain. Sounds good, doesn't it? Thank you, Lord. We've been needing that. Inherent with each telling of the gospel is a call for a decision. Every time the gospel is presented, every time someone hears the gospel, every time someone shares the gospel, inherent with that telling and with that receiving is a decision. You decide to follow it. These Thessalonians decided to follow Jesus, at least some of them. Many of them did not. Some people say, I, I will choose to follow Jesus. Others say, um, well, I'm not going to make a choice right now. But in the, uh, in the words of the great philosophical band, Rush, if you choose not to decide, what? You still have made A choice. You say, I'm not going to choose. I'm I'm not going to make a decision. Guess what? You've made a choice. You've decided not to follow Jesus. So inherent with every telling of the gospel is a decision. You've got to make a decision. And these Thessalonians had made their decision to follow Christ. And everything that Paul and his companions were saying and doing and living was all about the gospel. Every bit of it. Let's just try to work our way through the, uh, through the text this morning very quickly. It sounds good when I say quickly because you think we're going to go fast and we'll get done soon. It's a, it's a preacher term. It doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> now, if you'll say amen a couple times, I'll go fast. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. Your version may say our visit to you was not in vain. Now, There's a couple of reasons, I think, that Paul says that. Um, They came, they preached the gospel, and some of those Thessalonians received it. They decided to follow Jesus. They became Christians. They planted a church there. So Paul could have said, you know, our visit to you was not a failure because, look, we reaped a harvest among you. And I believe that that's part of why he says this. But Paul came to preach the gospel. And even if nobody had responded, Paul could have said, our labor among you was not in vain because the reason he went there was to preach the gospel. Had Paul not preached the gospel, had Paul just passed through there on his way to somewhere else, then his time there would have been in vain. Are you with me? See, I find this all the time, especially in the early trips that I made to West Africa. I would preach, and there were times when I preached my heart out. I mean, I was just, I was lathered up. I mean, I was preaching the gospel like I'd never preached before, and nobody responded. Nobody made a decision to follow Jesus. And I tell you, I was bummed bummed out bad. You go back, and, and other people say, well, we had 10 baptisms, or we had two baptisms, and we had 13, and, and, and they come to me, I say, I didn't have any. And you just feel like it was all in vain. No, it's not in vain if you preach the gospel. If you're faithful to God to preach the gospel, nothing you do will ever be in vain. And I think that's a big reason why Paul says here, our trip among you was not a failure. It was not in vain. Why? Well, because some of you responded true, but because we preached the gospel, it was not a failure. we previously suffered, we've already talked about that, insulted in Philippi, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. The Thessalonians stirred it up. There were, there were Jews there that were stirring it up, and, and as we said earlier, they had to leave under the cover of darkness, Our appeal, the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we're men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Paul says, we we didn't come to you with impure motives. We're not trying to trick you. And the sad thing is, is that there are people in our world today who preach Jesus out of impure motives. Jesus has become a big business for some folks. Did you guys know that? There are people that profit from Jesus. Big churches, wealthy preachers, um, all sorts of music ministries that are attached to some of these huge mega churches, and it's a money machine. I I hate to say that, but I, I believe it with all my heart. It's a money machine. And you listen to the gospel, and you don't hear the pure gospel. You hear some things that that tickle people's ears and make people feel good, but it's not the pure gospel of God. And Jesus has become big business for a lot of people. Paul says, we didn't come to you that way. We didn't come to you with impure motives. We didn't try to trick you. We came as men approved of God, when they came with those lashes on their back, their backs laid open, having been beaten severely with many blows, do you think that they had earned the right to speak of Jesus? you think that they had earned the right to tell the Thessalonians the gospel of Jesus? Yes, you bet they did. I don't think they boasted about it. Hey, look at, look at how we've suffered for God, but chances are those Thessalonians helped to nurse those wounds while they were there, lifting that tunic and and, and helping to dress those wounds and to put salve on those wounds because of the beating they had undertaken in Philippi. Those Thessalonians knew what it meant to suffer because they saw it in the men who brought them the gospel. And Paul is saying to them, you need to live lives worthy of the gospel. You may have to undergo the same type of persecution. They had earned the right to share this gospel by the things that they had suffered. We're not trying to please men, but God who examines our hearts. God who examines our hearts. What happens when you undergo the examination of God? What happens when you under Take the examination of God. Think about Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. God uh, comes to him and immediately he says, I am a sinful man. Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. I am a sin. When you are presented with the holiness of God, you know what happens? You realize just how sinful you are just how desperate you are, just how lacking you are. And what did Isaiah find? He found forgiveness. He found cleansing. Think about King David after his sin with Bathsheba. God sends Nathan the prophet to approach him. That was a scary thing. David could have said off with his head, I don't want to hear what you have to say, But Nathan approaches him in 2 Samuel chapter 12. He sees his sin in the light of a holy God. And in Psalm 51, he cries out for mercy. He confesses his sin. Against you and you only have I sinned, O God. And he confesses that and he pours it out. What does he find? He finds forgiveness. David finds forgiveness. Think about the Apostle Paul we're talking about this morning. On the road to Damascus, he's blinded by the light. He's confronted with his own own sinfulness. God sends him a man named Ananias. He says, Paul, what are you waiting for? Saul, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away, calling on his name. Confronted with his own sinfulness, what does Saul find? He finds forgiveness. He finds forgiveness in Jesus. When we're faced with our own sinfulness, our greatest need in that moment will be the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And that's exactly where we find forgiveness. Let's continue on. You know, we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up our greed. God is our witness. We're not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. Look at this. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. Uh, I, I love to preach out of the NIV. I don't like the NIV here. Um, other versions say like a nursing mother that's literally what the text says like a nursing mother that's how we were among you when you think about uh, a mother nursing her baby at her breast there is nothing sweeter there is nothing more tender there's nothing more precious than a mother and i and and what I love about this idea of a nursing mother is that Paul says, that's how we were among you. We were tender and gentle among you, but as a nursing mother cares for her child, we were feeding you. We were helping to bring life to you. Isn't that so much more vivid than just saying a mother caring for her child? No, a nursing mother, because a nursing mother is feeding, is giving life and energy to her child, and that's what That's what Paul and his companions did when when they brought the gospel to the Thessalonians. So we cared for you like a mother. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well because you had become so dear to us. Folks, that's true discipling. That's what Paul and his companions were, were doing as they were living among those Thessalonians. They not only just came with the words of the gospel, but says, we gave our lives to you as well. They, they walked among them. They shared their lives. They discipled them to help them become better followers of Jesus. Surely you remember, brothers, our, to- our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. As an apostle of Jesus Christ, Paul had the right to expect them uh, to help him financially. He had every right, and he explains that in several different passages, and he, but he doesn't always take advantage of that right, and he does not do that here. In fact, he says, you know how hard we worked when we were with you. Maybe this was one of those situations where, where Paul began to make tents, uh, you know, he was a, a tent maker, and he would, would make tents from time to time to, to support himself. Uh, it doesn't say that he did, he did that, but I suspect that maybe he did. But he did something toiling, working day and night so that they could support themselves and not ask the Thessalonians for anything. He says, you know how we lived among you. We, didn't, we weren't preaching the gospel trying to get rich. We weren't greedy. In fact, we didn't ask anything of you. We could have, but we didn't because we wanted to just present this gospel to you and not be a burden. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father, Deals with his own children. He he says we were gentle and tender like a mother, like a nursing mother. That's how we cared for you. Mothers are are much more um, kind and comparing, uh, um, caring and compassionate than our fathers at times. But now he says we dealt with you as a father. Deals with his own children. Encouraging. Fathers, we need to encourage our children. Oh, we need to encourage them comforting. We don't always do real well on that. You know, I, Haley, Haley, you know, would fall, hurt herself, and uh, I'd be like, oh, I'm so sorry. Go see your mother, you know. That's, you know, your mother will care for you. She, you know, we, we tend, we tend to pass that off a little bit because we're not, we're not compassionate, you know. We're not, Comforting, but 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 Paul says not only like a mother, but just like a father, encouraging, comforting, and urging you. Listen to this: urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into His kingdom and glory. I'm gonna I'm going be encouraging to you. I'm gonna I'm gonna comfort you. But guess what? I'm gonna challenge you. I'm gonna challenge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Again, when, when, when they got to, um, to Thessalonica, after being in Philippi beaten, they had earned the right to speak about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to take up your cross daily and to follow him. And now Paul says, we're urging you to do the same. We're urging you to, to live a life worthy of the calling and guess what that that life might entail it might entail a beating are you willing to count the cost i believe that's what he's saying to the Thessalonians urging them to live this life because he didn't come to them with any you know everything is is going to be peachy and rosy and and when you follow jesus all your troubles go away and you're going to have money and a and a great retirement and and be able to travel around when you, when you get old and see all the places you've never seen. He doesn't come with that message. He comes with stripes on his back. He comes with, with maybe open wounds on his body. This is what you get when you follow Jesus. This is what happens. And I'm asking you, I'm urging you to live that life to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Our Savior suffered. Why should we expect anything less? We have bought into some American, Western civilization gospel that, that says we're all gonna be happy, we're all gonna be healthy, and we're gonna die and go to heaven, and it's all gonna be great. That That's what we've bought into whether we want to admit it or not. Some clean and sterile and, and maybe even fun at times gospel. That's what we've bought into. And to be sure, a lot of fun to be had in, in the family of God, right? The, we, we have fun together. I love to hear the laughter in church. But to follow Christ means to take up a cross, It means to deny yourself and to follow him. Paul echoes that in his letter to the Ephesians. Chapter 4 and verse 1, he says, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. When you get to the end of your life, how can you ensure that your life was not in vain? How can, how can you ensure that your life was not a failure when you come to the end of your days, you're about to breathe your last breath? How can you guarantee that your life has meant something, has not been in vain? Three words. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Share the gospel. Tell someone the good news that Jesus Christ left heaven, became a man, dwelt among us, sinless, died on the cross, buried, and on the third day he was resurrected. If you'll tell someone the gospel, you will ensure that your life was not in vain. Everything else you could do, you could come to the end of your life, big house, nice cars, vacation all around the world, seeing everything that you want to see, and your life could be total vanity, totally in vain. But if you tell someone the gospel, you see someone give their life to Christ, you see someone come up out of that water, Buried with Christ, raised to walk in newness of life, your life will have meant something. It will not have been in vain. That's how you can ensure that your life was not a failure. Preach the gospel. Would you think about somebody this week, between now and next Sunday? I'm kind of getting ahead of myself in our discipleship training that's going to be coming up. But this is what I want you to do. This is your takeaway from this morning. One person that you know, that's close to you, but far from God. Close to you, but far from God. And you say, what do you mean far from God? I mean, someone who's not in Christ. They don't have to be living crazy wild lives, smoking dope and you know, all that kind of stuff. But you can be far from God and on the surface look like everything's okay, right? Someone that you know is close to you, but far from God. Would you begin to pray, just pray for that individual, nothing more, begin to pray that God would begin to work in their lives, in their heart, that his Holy Spirit would begin to to move in those brain cells and get them to thinking about some things. Between now and next Sunday, pray for that one person. Would you do that? That's all I'm asking of you this morning.